this sermon, this passage, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, is not about money. It's not about giving. It's not about generosity. This passage is about God protecting his church from that which can destroy it. It's about God protecting his church from that which can destroy it. Chapter one, just for review of where we've been in the book of Acts. Chapter one, Matthias replaces Judas. The church is, is moving forward. Chapter two, the Holy Spirit descends and every and after one sermon, 3,000 people are added to the church, the Bible tells us. After just one sermon, the church is moving forward. Everyone is getting along. And the Bible says that the Lord is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. The church is moving forward. Chapter 3, Peter heals a beggar at the temple gates and it gives him the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. The church is moving forward forward. Chapter four, Peter and John are arrested for telling people about Jesus, but even their, their, their arrest opens the door for them to tell even more people about Jesus. And even though they're threatened, they continue to share the name of Jesus and it continues to move the church forward. The end of chapter four, there is no one in the church in need because everybody is being so generous. The church is moving forward. And then we come to chapter five. And it reads like this. But a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Acts chapter four, actually, if you read that, ends with an illustration of generosity. There was a man named, named Joseph who, who sold a piece of property. And we'll mention that more in just a moment. So it ends with, an act of generosity, a, a real estate deal. And then Acts chapter five begins with a real estate deal. But, but this story is not about money. It is about God protecting his church from that which can destroy it. Acts chapter five, now verse two. With his wife's full knowledge, this is speaking of Ananias, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the disciples' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. We need to understand what is taking place here. And we can read between the lines to figure out what is happening, even without Luke, the author of Acts, telling us directly. Ananias and Sapphira saw what Joseph, Joseph was the man who at the end of chapter four sold his property. What Joseph had done, he'd sold his property and he'd taken all the money from the selling of his property and he brought it to the church. And he said, this is for the common good of the people. I'm giving this to the church so that it can be used to help others, to, to take care of those who are in need, who are part of this community. And, and when 
Ananias and Sapphira observed this. They observed that the community, the community of faith was in, was so appreciative of Joseph's generosity. He was recognized. He was, he was thanked. He was affirmed for what he had done. And they desired to have some of that same recognition. How many of us have done something good, have done something good because we've seen someone else get recognized for doing that same good? Maybe you're having a hard time thinking about it. I mean, were you ever a kid? I see kids do this. One kid comes to give mommy a hug and, and he hugs her and she says, oh, I love my boy's hugs. And immediately the the younger brother jumps up and runs over to mommy and hugs her and says, I'm hugging you too, mommy. And she says, oh, I love your hugs too, buddy. The one kid sees the good and the recognition that the other brother is getting. And so he comes to, to hug too, so he can also get the recognition. At some level, there is nothing wrong with this. We should be motivated to do good by the good that we see others doing. That's not a bad thing. But it shouldn't just be, especially as we grow up as adults, it shouldn't just be for the recognition or for the reward. I've been told that back in the day, and, and I think about that back in the day because I'm coming up on two decades of full-time ministry practice. So, so back in the day, even before those 20 years that I have been in ministry, or nearly 20 years, I was told that that pastors would go to their annual workers' meetings, the annual pastors' meetings. We still have these types of meetings, but they, they don't do what I'm about to tell you about. But at these meetings, the baptismal reports of every pastor would be read out loud. The pastors would sit there and everyone would hear how many people each pastor in the group had baptized. The pastors in the richest conferences would receive things like a trip to Florida, the pastors in maybe some of the smaller conferences, they would receive a new set of books or, or one pastor told me he once got the nicest briefcase. That's back when people used to carry briefcases. But this would happen. And, and what then becomes the reason for baptizing? Recognition. In fact, I had a ministerial secretary who years ago told me that, that he knew a pastor's in the conference that would fudge their baptismal numbers. Some of them to the extent so that they could get a reward, but, but, but others would, would fudge them so that they would at least not be at the bottom of the list. They wanted some recognition. It's no longer about baptizing people. It's now about, about the recognition. Anna, Ananias and Sapphira, they want the recognition. But what we see right away is that, that they wanted to be seen as key players in the community of faith, but their hearts were not in the right spot. They wanted to be, to, to be perceived as, as just as generous as Joseph. They wanted the pat on the back. They wanted to be heard and valued and appreciated, but, but without the same level of commitment. Verse three, Ananias, why? Has Satan filled your heart to lie? Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? How has Satan filled Ananias' heart to lie? The answer actually becomes 
comes much clearer when Ananias' wife shows up on the scene later in the story. Not knowing about her husband's previous visit with the disciples, she walks into the room. Ananias is no longer there. We'll get to that in a moment. But Peter asks her if she and her husband had sold the property for such and such a price, for this price. And she says, yes, that was the price. And we quickly discover that she was lying too. And here was their lie. Their fellow church member had sold his property and given every penny to God's work. And so when they sold their property, they took their money into the disciples, pretending like it was all of their money that they had received. They wanted the praise for their generosity. They wanted to be affirmed as good Christians, but they wanted to keep a little profit for themselves as well. In fact, Ellen White says they wanted to keep the majority of it for themselves. They wanted to support the movement of God, but they wanted to support themselves more. They wanted the community of faith to value them, to see them as one of, to see this couple as one of them, and yet still to keep a bit to themselves. But this sermon, this passage isn't about money. It isn't about giving. It isn't about generosity. It is about God protecting his church from that which can destroy it. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to the people, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he dropped dead. And then dropping down to verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. Ananias and Sapphira's wickedness was so great in the eyes of God that he immediately removed his protection from them and their sin consumed them and they dropped dead. That's how serious this was. You know, in Proverbs chapter 6, and I'll turn there, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, we're told about six things that, that the Lord hates, seven things that he finds detestable. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. If I can ever turn my page there. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. 
You know, when I read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, I see only one of those things that they did not do. The things that God hates, I see only one of those things that they did not do. I see no evidence that they shed innocent blood. But they had haughty eyes. Haughty eyes means an arrogance. Means that, that, that they had proud hearts. Haughty eyes meant you had a proud heart. And their pride wanted to be praised for giving all their money, even though they hadn't actually given all their money. They definitely had lying tongues. They definitely had lying tongues. Their heart plotted, their hearts plotted a wicked scheme. We'll sell our property and say it only sold for this much and everyone will love us because we're like Joseph giving our money. But we can store some away for ourselves for later and no one will know. They ran into evil. Ellen White again speaks to the fact that they saw what Joseph did and they hustled out to sell their property and to pretend like they were doing the same. They gave false testimony against themselves, against their neighbor, especially Sapphira. When, when she was given the chance to tell the truth, and, and even, even she was asked in such a way that suspicion was, was in question, like, Sapphira, did you really sell it for this much? She doubled down on the lie. Their action would have stirred up trouble in the community. That last thing that God hates. And I'll come back to this in just a moment. Ellen White summed all of this up in this way. All those six things, those seven things I just said, she summed up in this way. God hates hypocrisy and falsehood. God hates hypocrisy and falsehood. And why does God hate it so much? Because it destroys his church. It destroys his church. F.F. F. Bruce writes that an act of deceit in uh, an act of deceit interrupts the vi victorious progress of the people of God. Remember Acts chapter 1. Matthias is added to their number. The church is grow, going forward. Acts chapter 2, they're anointed with the Holy Spirit. They preach a sermon. Thousands are added. They're all fellowshipping and worshiping and praying. And Lord's adding to their number daily. The, the church is growing. Acts chapter 3, they, they, they heal a blind man or a beggar at the, at the temple gates. And, and they're able to, to spread the word of Jesus and even more. And the church keeps going forward. Acts chapter 4, they're arrested. But their arrest actually leads to sharing more and more Jesus and the church is going forward. Acts chapter four, there's no one in need because everybody is being so generous and the church is going forward. And boom, here is this act of falsehood and hypocrisy that is about to interrupt the progress of the church. The church is humming along. It's growing rapidly. Satan has been trying to destroy the church by the outside forces. Arrests, health issues, economic needs, but still the church grows. So now Satan turns his tactics inward. If he can't destroy the church from outside, he will destroy it from within. 
using the very people who call themselves believers. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be a part of God's community. They wanted to be a key and recognized part of God's community while also retaining their personal autonomy from God's authority. That's their hypocrisy and their falsehood. They thereby risked infiltrating God's church with Satan's agenda. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? This was Satan's agenda. And now it was coming in the church through the church member. Y'all, the story isn't about money. It is about God protecting the church from that which can destroy it. And one of the greatest destroyers of the church is us. When we within the church are not fully committed and under the authority of Jesus Christ. Ellen White writing about this story, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. She writes, Infinite wisdom saw this signal manifestation of the wrath of God was necessary to guard the young church from becoming demoralized. God interrupts this moment in history. We say, man, they had to drop dead. God used this thing to, to, to protect the church from becoming demoralized. Their numbers, she writes, were rapidly increasing. The church would have been endangered if in rapid, if the rapid increase of converts, men and women had been added who, while professing to serve God, were worshiping mammon. The judgment testified that men cannot deceive God, that he detects the hidden sins of the heart, and that he will not be mocked. It was designed as a warning to the church to lead the people to avoid pretense and hypocrisy. To avoid pretense and hypocrisy and to be aware of robbing God. Y'all, some have commentators have questioned the validity of the historical accuracy of this story. They say all is going good, and then all of a sudden this, this story that doesn't seem to fit jumps in, but that's not true. There was, it fits perfectly. Before, people were trying to destroy the church from outside. Now, someone's trying to destroy the church from inside. Others have tried to dismiss the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira as coincidence or exaggeration. One commentator even went so far as to say this. Listen to this. They died at a later point in time, but it was close enough. So in order to scare the church, it was credited to this moment. That's nonsense. This was divine judgment to protect the church. God will protect his church. God had been protecting the church from those without, and now he shows he will also protect the church from those within. I agree with John Stott when he writes, we have now seen that if the devil's first tactic was to destroy the church by force from without, his second was to destroy it by falsehood from within. He has not given up, listen to this, he has not given up the attempt, whether by the hypocrisy of those who profess but do not practice or by the stubbornness of those who sin but do not repent, the church must preserve its vigilance. We must preserve our vigilance. Our vigilance. Now let me just for a moment define hypocrisy before I move on. 
Because immediately someone could say, yes, I hate all the hypocrisy in the church. Hypocrisy is, is, is oftentimes, I will say this, because I've used it in this way, is oftentimes a, a term used by, by those who maybe would consider themselves more liberal and progressive in the church against those who are more conservative in the church. Hypocrisy, folks, is not being a sinner. If someone wants to say they're all sinners, then yes, they're right. They're all sinners. But not all the church are hypocrites. Hypocrisy is this, saying you're a Christian and then willfully living contrary to the authority of Jesus Christ and his word. That is what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is saying, I'm a Christian, but, but I'm not willing to live according to this word. Because then you're just pretending. You're living a falsehood. Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be a part of the community of God without being fully under the authority of God. And brothers and sisters, that can be conservative or liberal. There are liberals who say, I'm a Christian. Oh, but I don't need to follow everything this book says. And there are conservatives who say, you know what? I've been perfect for years. I remember the story of HMS Richards who, who said he was once standing at the door, shaking hands, and a woman came out to shake his hand, and she said, Elder Richards, I have not sinned for three years. And he said to her, good for you, ma'am, you just did. Hypocrisy can be conservative or liberal. It's anyone who thinks, who thinks, who says, I'm a Christian, but, but I don't need to live according to this word. In the case of that lady with HMS Richards, the Bible says anyone who says they are without sin or they are without sin are deceiving themselves. But it's what God hates. But that last statement again, I want to go back to that last statement that Stott said. The church must preserve its vigilance. Why? Because Satan has not stopped attempting. He continues to attempt to destroy the church from within through hypocrisy and falsehood. Through hypocrisy and falsehood. We must preserve our vigilance. But, but where does vigilance begin? Does it begin with our neighbor? No. Does it, does it begin with the person sitting next to us on the couch right now? No. Does it, does it begin with the person who, who sits in the pew in the very back row? No. Does it begin with, the, with some of the kids who don't really seem to be paying attention all the time in church? Does it begin with them? No. Does it begin with the, the denomination, the structure of the denomination? Should we, should we start our vigilance there? No. Should we start it with the, the entity I work for? I work for the, an Adventist school. I work for the Adventist church. Let's, let's hold them accountable for their wrongs. Does it begin there? No. Vigilance begins with myself and with yourself. Remember the instruction of Jesus from the book of Matthew chapter seven, verses three through five. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. 
First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. God hates. What did I say? God hates. That's a strong word. My boys will say they hate something. I say, let's not say hates. Hates such a strong word. God hates hypocrisy and falsehood. But brothers and sisters, do let us be vigilant over ourselves. And let us be vigilant to recognize that, that these things are still in the church and Satan's still using them to try to destroy us. Just because we don't have an Ananias or Sapphira dropping dead amongst us does not mean the selfishness, does not mean the deceit, does not mean the falsehood, does not mean the hypocrisy still are not present in our midst and maybe even within us. Acts of the Apostles, page 76. The book, Acts of the Apostles, page 76. In the case of Ananias and Sapphira, the sin of fraud against God was speedily punished. The same sin was often repeated in the after history of the church and is committed by many in our time. By many in our time. It might be us. But though it may not be attended by the visible manifestation of God's displeasure, people dropping dead, it is no less heinous in his sight now than in the apostles' time. The warning has been given. God has clearly manifested his abhorrence of this sin. And all who give themselves up to hypocrisy and covetousness may be sure that they are destroying their own souls. Now she shifts from, from God protecting the church to now hypocrisy destroys our own souls. When you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira and you realize that God is still speaking to people living in this way today, people who, 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 who are saying, I'm a Christian, but, but not living under the authority of Jesus, people who, who want to be perceived as supportive and, and, and effective members in the body of Christ, but, but, are, but are critical of everyone else and want to attack everyone else as if they are supreme and know everything. This falsehood still exists within our body. And it can seem like a threatening thing to ponder. It'll eventually destroy us or our churches. But I want to leave us with this, because maybe you recognize that you have not been fully surrendered to God. You've only been living partway. You've been like Ananias and Sapphira. They want to be partway in, but partway out of God's body. They want people to think they're believers, but they also don't mind if some other people don't think they're believers. They, they, they want to have the praise of the church, but they also want to be able to stand back here and be critical of the church. They, they want the, the pat on the back, but they also want to keep some things back from the church. They want to be generous, but, but not too generous. Maybe you recognize some of that in yourself. Maybe I recognize some of that in me. But I want to leave you with this. If you recognize that in yourself, I want you to know this. As long as you are still breathing, when God asks our hearts the question that Peter asked 
Sapphira, a question that opens the door to repentance. We don't have to go the way of Sapphira. We don't have to double down on our falsehood. We don't have to double down on our lie. We don't have to double down on our hypocrisy. We don't have to double down on our, on our, on our falsity and our, and our acting. We can tell the truth. We can step back from the hypocrisy. We can step back from our deceit, from our scheming. And we can be saved. Just tell Jesus the truth. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell another person. Just tell Jesus the truth. If we confess our sins, the Bible says in 1 John chapter verse 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then I love this. I love this. I love the totality of it. And to forgive us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we tell, Chad, why are you deceiving me? Don't double down and say, Lord, I'm not deceiving you. Lord, you're right. Forgive me. I confess to you my deceit, my hypocrisy. I confess to you that I've been, that I've been holding brother A accountable or sister be accountable, but, 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 I've, but I've not been vigilant in myself. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our unrighteousness and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess, tell Jesus the truth, and you will be saved. Jesus would much rather save us than save the church from us. Jesus would much rather save you than save the church from you. Confess, repent, and be saved. Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray. that you'll speak to us through this story of Ananias and Sapphira, that, that Lord, if we're the people that the church needs to be protected from, that you will open our eyes to that and help us to repent. And Jesus, I say this too, even about myself. If I'm destroying the church, Remove me, Lord. If someone else is destroying the church, then, then remove them. Not, not because we don't love them, Lord, but because the church is the body of Christ. It's, it's the representative of you, of you, and it deserves a people that are fully committed. Not, not, not people that don't struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin, but, but a people who are willing to be surrendered to you at all costs. So Lord, I confess my deceit. I confess my sin, my hypocrisy. And I pray that my brother and my sister out there will, will pers- per- repent and confess their deceit and their hypocrisy as well. And Lord, save us as you also save the church. In your name we pray, amen.